welcome to the Startup Brewery Podcast, where we discuss all things relating to startups, open, and growing breweries from concept to execution. We are pleased to partner with All About Beer to bring you this podcast. You're joining us today for episode 24, our first podcast season wrap-up. I'm Laura Lodge, here with Candace Moon, and we're excited to welcome you to our ongoing podcast journey. As your hosts and founders of Startup Brewery, we both have extensive experience in our areas of specialty. Candace is the craft beer attorney, having worked with more than 500 brewery clients over time, and my background is a mix of distribution, event planning, and craft beer education. You can find more information about us and our contributors, plus a whole bunch of info and resources at startabrewery.com. This will be episode 24, Reflections on Our First Podcast Season, with just us, and today's episode follows Rick Weiner of Brewery Finance and Scott Berkner of Dogwood State Bank in episode 23, talking about some of the reasons we even had this first season of topics. In a nutshell, how much does a business plan matter to the financing folks? So spoiler, if you haven't listened yet, it does matter a lot. So Candace, that was our high five moment, the statement that 22 (laughs) episodes had been leading up to. Were you sure that Scott was going to say yes about whether it mattered? I mean, I was pretty sure. I mean, I've, you know, enough banks, if nothing else, here's my, my thought on this. The bank wants to know that you've done your due diligence. They want to know that you're serious and that this is something real to you. And if you put in the time and an effort to make a business plan, to some extent that shows them that you are serious and you have done some research. And then especially, um, you know, with the pro forma and seeing what kind of numbers, uh, how realistic you are, you know, are you, are you, you know, pie in the sky, you have no idea what you're getting into, which is probably not a, a great uh, risk that I would want to take giving someone money versus someone who's got realistic expectations and understands what they need to do. So, and maybe that's just from my side of things that I see in my business because I'm with work with startups at the beginning. Uh, oh, the difference it makes for someone who's done their due diligence. And I would assume a bank would want to see that for sure. Yeah. I feel like it's a measure of how much you care, like how much homework did you do? How much have you dug into it? How much have you really analyzed this thing? I feel like it's a really good measuring stick. Definitely. And and not just, you know, in, in, in my head for a second, I was like, you know, it's a hoop they want you to jump through, but I don't think that's actually, I mean, yes, it's a hoop they want you to jump through, but I think it's also because the better you do it and the more you research it and the more you dig in, the more you know, and the more likely I think you are to succeed. Yeah. And so they should take that risk. I mean, or that it's a better gamble for them. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, we can draw this all back down to the casino, right? It's all, it's all a big gamble. (laughs) Like, Are they going to gamble on you as people? They're gambling on your location. They're gambling on what you decided to do in that location. How thoughtful have you been? Do you know what you're, do you know what the hell you're getting into? Right? Exactly. And I think too, even if you're not trying to raise money, it's, something you should go through and do anyway, because you're spending your own money and you need to know if this is a good gamble for what you're going to put into it. And I think, I know I've told you this story once before, but uh, in the uh, craft brewery business business planning class that I did, I had one student who at the very beginning, you know, we did the super, the, the very beginning stages. So kind of a more superficial overview of each of the sections. And as soon as he did the numbers, just the basic numbers, like here's all my expenses and here's how much I can expect to make based on how much I brew and how often. And it was, you know, zero to negative. And he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know? and, 
it's an important exercise. So whether you're taking money from other people and spending it from them, which is scary because if it doesn't go well, they're going to want their money back. Um, you want should do the same thing if you're spending your own money and your own time. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, I, I mean, obviously I, we believe in the business plans <laughs> or yeah, we would well, not have done this. I, any, any time that I think you want to get into an adventure like that, it serves you to, to lay it all out and look at it. And I think people forget that that's, that this is a litmus test for you over and above mm -hmm. the bank and anybody else. And I think it's like this, it's almost a persecution thing. Like the bank wants to make me do this thing. And when in fact, it's, um, it's really a gut check for you. And I, I think the gut check episode was really good for that reason too, to just have kind of this litany of reasons that you really need to think about this twice. Oh yeah. Or three or four times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At every level, as you dig in a little deeper, one more time, you really want to do this? You really want to do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, th I think over the last few years, more and more of the people that we talk to industry-wise keep saying, oh, I don't know. I don't know if there's really any great answer to how best to do this at this point, because there's so many reasons not to do it. Exactly. And and it is funny because we've been told many times to stop telling people not, well, maybe it's not us, it's our guests, not to open a brewery. Um, yeah, that was, that but, was a homebrew con, but that was a great, that was a great conference for us. I feel like we really connected with a lot of people. Um, and it was really nice to have so many people say they've been listening to us. For sure. For sure. Cause I, you know, I, I think at one point you were talking about the numbers uh, for the podcast and it's, it's pretty impressive, but the, it doesn't mean much until you talk to somebody who's actually been listening. Mm -hmm. so one of my clients uh, has uh, listened pretty uh, loyally since the beginning. And so it's always nice to hear his feedback. You know, I get some real time information on, on how useful what we're providing is. Yeah. I've had a couple of people um, when we did the session with equipment um, there were a couple of resources that you had mentioned. And so people email me every so often and ask for those resources. And every once in a while, they'll they'll send a little testimonial in about how useful it's been. It's just really heartening to hear that. Um, but it's it's also true that we had we've had a couple of people say, you know, don't don't tell people not to do it. And I, I do. I don't know. I double down with you in the terms that people need to understand that there's no foregone conclusion that it's a good idea. Well, and it's it's a tough industry. And I, I think a lot of people also don't realize just how hard it is. I mean, running any business is hard. This is what I tell people. Any business is hard. Opening your own business. I mean, that's it. It's going to take over your life, at least for the short, you know, in the beginning. But when you're opening a business in the alcohol industry, you're you're taking all the headaches of a normal business and then adding on all the things you have to do to be in a highly regulated industry. So, um, you know, I was telling you earlier, I did, um, I, I did just a one hour uh, webinar yesterday on California brewery compliance, thinking this would be quick and easy, no big deal. And as I dug into it, I realized that I spent an hour giving them basically a checklist because an hour wasn't nearly enough time to go into the detail of all the things you have to do. And this is once you're open just to stay compliant. And that's, yeah, I'd say 90% of it was um, alcohol industry specific, you know, there was a little bit that every business, you know, in California has to do, but right. um, it's a lot of work. 
And I, I, it's one of those things that's not trying to discourage people from opening it, but trying to make sure they're going in with their eyes open, especially every time I get, um, when I get, uh, a person who's like us going to be the only one, they don't have partners. Right. And I, and I, I try to, I, I, and I remember this vividly telling this one guy, I'm like, you just can't do it. You're not gonna be able to do it all. He's like, no, no, I can. I have the experience. I've done this. I've done that. I've done the other. I'm like, no, I'm not saying that you can't do it all. I'm saying you can't do it all. Like there's just not enough hours in the day for one person to do all the things. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I've been doing the, I've been really loving doing being a mentor for the the Brewers Association mentorship program. And one Mm -hmm. of my mentees more recently, um, we really did the I don't want to call it the 24 hour exercise, but you know, here's how many days there are in a week. And here are all the missions that you want to achieve on your own as an individual person and mm-hmm. not delegate them. So let's, let's literally, let's, let's put that all out into a calendar and look at how much time you're spending and is this feasible and where will you really need to delegate? Because sometimes it's so easy to say, Oh, I've got that. I've got that. I've got that. But it just turns out not to be enough hours. Well, and you know what? That's a hugely important exercise. Um, I actually did that a few months ago. I I was working with a business coach for my business, and you know, I talked about how overwhelmed I felt, and she's like, "Well, let's let's list out all you're doing and how much time you spend per week." And apparently, no, it wasn't all getting done. Don't you know? Get me wrong, but uh, apparently, I had eighty hours of work a week, and I'm like, "She's like, that's probably why you're feeling overwhelmed." I'm like, "Oh, oh." And so anyway, so she just sounds like what you did helped me figure out what I want to delegate and bring on employees to help with that. But it was like, oh, that must be why I can't get it all done. <laughs> it's an interesting come to Jesus. And I, I think that there's there's a lot of areas of my life besides um, work where that would be helpful. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I know I've actually been thinking like, well, my business coach, can I get a personal life coach Does that work the same way? <laughs> exactly. So but yeah. here's a really good big picture, big picture question. Did you think we could really do this? I mean, what was your original idea of, of what this would be like to do a podcast? I definitely knew we could do it. I just, I don't think, well, just like everything else, I don't think I realized how much work it was going to be. <laughs> like, it seemed like such a, well, I, I still think uh, and believe that it's a good idea. I just didn't realize how much, well, first of all, how much work you've put into it because you really put the bulk in, but just even showing up to record you know, every two weeks, it seems like that wouldn't be that much of an effort. But yeah, it definitely was a lot more work than I expected. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. And I think we I think we provided a really good um, source of education for people. But just like everything was more work than I expected. (laughs) Well, and it's 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 gratifying when we hear things like at CBC, there are a number of people saying, "I, I wish you had this in place when I started my brewery. I, I've Definitely. heard that a lot. Um, and I think we did a lot of in the like actionable education awareness stuff. And I, I wonder if our listeners, you know, some people I've heard we should be a little more entertaining or we should tell more stories. <laughs> we should have more breweries. And and when we were talking about doing this, I, I, th- I think it's an excellent idea to ask our listeners if they are interested in sharing their feedback that we're, you know, we're putting together our ideas for season two. And it would be awesome to hear what they had to say. Oh, for sure. I completely agree. Um, I mean, to some extent, and again, you more than I, but like we kind of winged it this first season, like, well, what what should we start with? What should we talk about? And 
well, and as per the website, the first thing is the business plan. So we'll start with the business plan. And you are amazing at, at finding uh, people to come on and, and talk to us. Uh, but it's, it, we've kind of, we may have reached a point too, or, you know, we've exploited everyone we know. So, oh, well, some of them are really excited to come back. So I, I don't think oh, excellent. those bridges, um, but there's a lot of other people we can pull into. I think some of our contributors are, are specializing in areas that we haven't had a reason to hit yet. A lot of, you know, sure. QAQC or getting into ingredients or uh, brewing processes. I mean, there's just a whole lot of taproom stuff. We really haven't done a lot of that yet. Well, so, we touched on it. We, yeah. we, I mean, just like everything, I think we've done big picture with a couple of deep dives into the things that you really need to know in the beginning, such as figuring out what equipment you're going to need and how you're going to pay for it and how to keep track of your numbers. I mean, I think those are, you know, three of the episodes that really stood out to me, um, the equipment, mainly because that was the first episode we had where we had to do an impromptu part two because there was so much information we couldn't jam it all into one episode. Yeah, that we was found awesome. out, which we didn't know until we got through the episode. I mean, it was a spur of the moment, second episode planning, and then having the same thing happen with the financial episode and getting into the numbers, which I still think that's one of those episodes that like, I think anyone who's not a numbers person like, like me, I need to listen to it like two or three times before it really starts to make sense. Yeah. Yeah. It was really nice um, to get that far into things, but it was you know, it's like speaking the language, like, like there was a lot of terminology in there that I didn't know either. Mm-hmm. So if you go back and listen to that, you can hear me asking Audra to please explain that again. <laughs> you know, and every time and I do hear it a lot because the bankers, you know, and EBITDA, EBITDA. And I'm like, I always have to stop and remind myself, what does that stand for again? <laughs> you know? uh-huh. Yeah, um, there's a lot of that that's, that's so specific. And I know people that are not in the beer industry, you know, we end up with a lingo and a language and an understanding right. of things as well. Um, another standout for me, we had a couple of um, of episodes that kind of went together, like episode five, which was mission statement, values, and vision. That was with Ren uh, Navarro, John Hyman, and Jason Gladfelter. I think that discussion about mission statements, values, and vision, I think that really led into episode 007, which I like, of course, for the Bond reference, um, <laughs> Shaken Not Stirred with Sam Caligioni, Mitch Steele, and Mark Youngquist, I really feel like the stuff that we talked about in terms of um, the philosophy behind everything, it was really neat then to go to the brewers and say, did you do this? Did you use this? How do you mm. use this now in terms of both the business plan and the philosophy and, and how they stick to their core values? There mm. were some really good takeaways there. Um that I really think are, are neat. So if you're listening now and you didn't listen, then you should go back and listen then. <laughs> no, I agree. And it, it, it is funny because I always, it, I, when thinking about starting a business, if nothing else, I always kind of think back to when I started my business. And honestly, I didn't do any of this stuff. <laughs> I didn't write a business plan. I didn't think about all my, but at the same time, I started a business that had no overhead. I didn't, I didn't lose any money. I wasn't investing any money. You know, I worked out of my house. I, it was all services. So, you know, my, my risk was minimal, you know, my worst thing is I don't make any money. Right. In which case that, and actually when I started my business, I had another job. So I made money from my other job and started my business. So it didn't matter if I didn't make money. And then I just kind of, you know, see how it goes. And, but 
a business like a brewery, you, you can't do that. I mean, there are physical things you have to buy. You have to have money. You can't, you, well, I'd say 99% of the country, you can't do it out of your house. You know? Oh, uh, although I think there are several garage things out there. There are, there are some things you can do, but probably not a, not a sustainable, as a sustainable business, you're not going to be able to start and keep it in your garage. No, um, it's definitely overhead heavy. But it was fascinating to me, speaking of um, 007, to hear Sam talk about basically all that due diligence and the the steps we've recommended. And that's exactly what he did. And having that mission and those um, kind of those goals and philosophy and, you know, kind of seeing what it's turned into. And he's it's kind of like the perfect story that you want everyone to follow. Like, this is how you do it. Do it like that. <laughs> you know? like, yes. Which I'm maybe sure. why he has multiple books and a very successful <laughs> business. I, I, I'm sure if you wanted him to talk about the bumps in the road, he would have other books as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and 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 cool that he has the their mission statement, you know, painted on the wall. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really neat to to talk about those kinds of things. And it was a really good flashback comparison too. At the time that he was doing his business plan, he was doing it in the library, looking things mm -hmm. up manually. Um, the way we did when we grew up and we had to research papers and, you know, do yeah. the due diligence. And it's amazing how much is available at your fingertips now on the Internet. And to have a resource like Start a Brew where you can go and say, OK, I want a checklist for everything that I need to do while I'm working on planning this thing. I mean, mm -hmm. those are the resources that I think can be really magical if you know where to look. Um, yeah, for sure. So another pair of episodes that stuck out for me, and I, I think this is. Um, you know, getting outside of the box and how we do things, I think is really interesting. It's, it's a personal interest to me. Like if I wanted to do this and I didn't have the ability to have financing or I didn't have uh, the bandwidth to be able to do my own brewing. So the whole idea of doing the contract brewing and alternating proprietorships and understanding what that is, what that means, what your legal obligations would be and how that was structured. I mm -hmm. thought that was really cool. And to hear Phil Markowski and Matt, Osterman talk about why they contract brew, Matt in particular, to talk about um, when he was looking for a contract brewing partner and couldn't find one with mm -hmm. QAQC and couldn't find one that would care about his brand and couldn't find one that made any sense at all. So he decided to make one. Um, I, I think that it's really interesting to hear those kinds of stories. And then Elisa Bowens Mercado to, to come along and say, I wanted to find that. I needed to find that mm -hmm. in order to make my dream a reality. And and being able to talk about finding the right partners and what a right what a good partnership fit is. Um, some of that stuff is just outside the box from the normal cookie cutter process of mm -hmm. things. I think it's really important for people to understand that you don't have to do it with all the new equipment. You don't have to do, um, you know, the the way. Um, mm -hmm. You can do it other ways. And I, Tom Hennessy is fa fascinating with all the different basically duct tape and bailing wire that he can do to, to build you a brewery. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. And uh, the most interesting thing to me about the contract brewing episode was that uh, from talking to at least the, the kind of two larger professional contract brewers was it's really not a great place for a startup because mm -hmm. they're not going to, they're generally not looking for the quantities you're going to have to um, that these larger contract brewers are going to require you to start with but right. that doesn't mean that the concept i mean because you can take that same concept and really i mean any brewery can contract brew as long as they have the 
capacity. But I do think a lot of that came out in that conversation, as well as the all prop one with Jamil, was how important it is to find the right partner and to make sure that whoever you are contract brewing with or alt propping with is someone you trust, especially in the contract brew, where they're going to be doing the brewing of your product that you trust them and know they're going to make a good product. Um, and that and they you're care. Not, and that they care. Yeah. yeah. And that so finding that partner who isn't going to require a large initial quantity, uh, you know, their minimum barrelage isn't too high for what you want to do starting out. Um, it's, it's challenging, but it's worth the conversation and someone who may not contract brew now, if they have capacity, you know, those are the people to approach. So, I mean, assuming you, you know, like the beer they make and yes. And you think it's good. Um, yes. it, it was really interesting to hear Jamil's story about alt props and, and how an alternating proprietorship can work and some of the, some of the ups and some of the downs. Um, but I hear so much more, and, and maybe you do too, about co-ops and people being creative about using the same space and sharing the same systems and trying to bring some of the overhead and the risk down and mm-hmm. some of the, the necessary financial stuff. And I wonder if we're going to see a lot more of of these shared systems, whether it be contract brewing or alternate proprietorships or gypsy breweries or you know people that are doing this in a different way. Probably, but at the same time, I mean... That the thing about doing things in a different way is you got to make sure you can legally do it in a different way. And gypsy brewers uh, are an interesting one. I'm I'm not exactly sure how that works in a lot of places because theoretically the gypsy brewer doesn't have a license. Well, if he doesn't have a license, I'm not sure how he's making money. He or she is making money on beer sales because at least in California, a non-license holder can't profit from the sale of beer. So gypsy brewer would have to either be getting, you know, be an employee of the brewery and getting paid that way. Um, but how, you know, how they would own that beer I, in California, they couldn't. Could they just have a wholesaler's license and have it end up being more of a contract brewing arrangement? Yes, but they'd have to have a wholesaler license in every, everywhere they were contract brewing. Right, right. And an ability to sell it. I, I think everybody and a wholesaler license in some cases requires you to have a warehouse. Right. Not your car. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. that, would be, I, that would be the gypsy brewery. My ideal, van, right? You have a re- van refrigerated truck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just loaded well, in. Like I said, so it's it's great. It, you know, it's just kind of like marketing in this industry. It's great to be creative, but there it's a highly regulated industry. So there are only so many different ways you can do things. And that said, you may have a creative solution for one state that may not work in another state. And I'm finding that with um, a lot of my clients now are are starting to sell out of state more. And we're slowly every once in a while finding random hurdles that, you know, we never came across. Um, So, for example, if you have a retail license in California, but you own a manufacturing license in another state, that's a tight house conflict when that, when the you, the manufacturer out of state wants to send the beer to California, it's a tight house conflict, even though in state, it would not be. So right. if, in state, there's an exception, just like most states, you know, they give preference to their, their citizens. But sure. if you're a manufacturer out of state with the retail license in state, tight house conflict. And so you can't send your beer into here, into California in that situation. And I guarantee you, and, and the, the the fun of my job is figuring out what every state is going to allow and not allow. 
Um, so it's just interesting. So it's like that it's hard to be creative in a highly regulated industry, I guess is what I'm saying. So, and again, this is an area where you want to do due diligence before you make decisions. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the wisdom pieces that, that came through over and over and over was making sure that you had resources and like people to talk to, whether they were mentors or consultants or like whoever it was in your world that were really familiar with our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I have run into that situation myself. Um, have you worked with an attorney before? Of course. Um, but and and they're great people. Would they be offended if you, I looked for somebody who was like knew more about this particular thing I'm doing? And the answer is no. And I, I think I think people f- don't understand that a lot of professionals are okay with that. For sure. And especially, I mean, because the, the whole area of law is most people specialize in an area. So you don't you don't ask your business attorney to advise you on uh, your divorce two completely different areas of law and you're technically your business attorney should refuse to help you with your uh marriage issues um but i often tell people because you know although i get a lot of people in the beginning sometimes i get people who are farther down the road and i'm like you know you can pay me for 15 minutes of my time and i can tell your business attorney probably what they need to know about doing your anti-debt documents and how that relates to uh, uh, alcohol. Yeah. So you don't have to have an alcohol attorney do your business documents, but you probably want, you know, a little bit of that specialty, that expertise uh, mixed in because your standard business attorney may or may not have ever worked with someone in the uh, alcohol industry, or even if they have in the past, they may not know of, you know, current regulations because it's probably not something they're going to keep up with. Right. So. Right. Or you can listen to podcasts or go to our website and find information that your alcohol, I mean, your business attorney would need to know or your employment law attorney. Um, I remember asking, this was when I was at the firm and I asked one of the employment law attorneys to write an alcohol policy. And um, it was an associate. I mean, they were, they were younger and newer and they literally wrote a standard uh, alcohol policy, which pretty much was like no alcohol in the premises. I'm like, um, you do know who our client is, right? They're a brewery. That that's not really an option, you know. There are different, definitely different ways you have to approach things. Um, yeah, I was, of this industry. I was thinking too about contractors and about architects and some of the people that are really instrumental in figuring out how the pieces go together physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if they don't understand the industry and they don't understand, say, food and beverage, um, mm-hmm. may end up with a a beautiful plan or a beautiful building uh, that's kind of not functional. And I um, <clears throat> was working with a with a couple um, recently who, who have a beautiful diagram. And when we were talking about the operational, like, how does this work? Um, they were planning on bar service, but there was no place at the bar that was left open for the customers to come up to order. They would have had to have been ordering through through the other patrons that were sitting at the bar mm, and, mm-hmm. and there was no place for the beers to be delivered except over the other customers. And so we were talking about, you know, should there be a place like maybe two of those bar stools should go away so that you have a location that's not going to make your other patrons crazy where everybody can order. If 
everything in this whole place is bar service. You need to have a, a place that's actually designed mm-hmm. to do that. So it was interesting to to kind of talk through some of the practical elements of that. And I, I think that's, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, I just learned so much listening to some of our contributors talk and teach um, mm-hmm. things I would have no reason to to know or think about becomes practical common sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, very much so. Streamlining and, you know, the organization of the equipment so that it is all process driven from one to the next and sort of close proximity and everything comes in and then is is in a good place to go out. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and also, I mean, the other thing, too, and so that a non-industry person might not be aware of is, you know, the OSHA requirements, your occupational safety re- and hazard requirements of a manufacturing facility. So you've got to combine like, okay, I have to meet this requirements, you know, to be safe, but I also want this because it's effective and efficient. And, you know, where do I place everything? And, and just like bringing in me for 15 minutes for your standard business attorney, bring in, uh, you know, a, someone like Dustin Hawk, you know, an alcohol um, craft beverage architect, you may not need him for the whole thing. But bring him, you know, pay for an hour of his time to get his specialized knowledge to tell your architect or, you know, your contractor what needs to be done. And sometimes, you know, you don't financially, you're not necessarily paying for the more expensive specialized person for the whole project, but at least you're getting the benefit of their knowledge um, while using, you know, your wife's brother. (laughs) Right. Well, and Andy Andy Hooper was talking about that too. He's talking about the fact that sometimes you get people who know wine and, Mm -hmm. and so when they're building a brewery, there are some things that they do. Of course you do it that way because they're used to to doing things for wine. that doesn't really translate well for beer. Um, So even within alcohol. Yeah. um, Interesting to see how that translates or doesn't translate. True. Um, It was fun to, to do. We had our marketing trio. We did our understanding your market, creating a brand identity early. And that was with, uh, Emily Hutto, Misty Gordon, and Julie Rhodes. And then we had towards the end of our mm-hmm. um, season, we had creating your marketing plan with Bill Wetmore and Open Chain and Julie Rhodes. And then how will you leverage your brand? It was kind of cool to to hear Jenny Mann and Taylor Seidler talk about so many of the components that we had built mm-hmm. um, with guests in earlier episodes. And I think that anybody who's um, looking to work through those pieces will benefit from that. I thought it was kind of cool to have the results of one play into the next. Of course. Well, and and that's a huge part of your business plan is, you know, um, researching your market and developing a market plan, marketing plan. And how, I mean, at the end of the day, as much as, you know, we love beer and it's a passion, you're starting a business and you've got to be able to stay in business Mm -hmm. and marketing and sales is a huge part of that. And I think, you know, and I think as we saw in, you know, Sam's episode and, and kind of how Dogfish Head has done it, like if your marketing and branding come from your goals and values, you know, it's, it's easier to have that consistency um, throughout and it really can make a big difference. Yeah. I think it's really gratifying, I guess, to have all of this information in so many different formats. We've got the the podcast for people to listen to. We've got such good information from the quarterly educational webinars and from um, some of the other panel presentations we've done on our YouTube channel. 
um, all of our resource groups on the YouTube channel. And then we've got the library and the website for print. I feel like mm -hmm. there's lots of different ways for people to kind of dig in. Yeah, for sure. And, and which is good because it's, it's funny. So I'm a print person. There's no question when I'm on social media and there's a video, I mean, I, I might start it. And if it doesn't catch me, really catch my attention in the first like five seconds, I'm like, I, uh, and I'll turn to, I'd much rather read an article than listen to someone talk. But I know that there's a ton of people who are the exact opposite. They don't want to read an article. They'd much rather listen to somebody. Um, so yeah, I think it's good that we have these resources in multiple formats. Something yeah. for everyone. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I'm with you on, on the reading. If it's something that really matters, I end up printing it more often than not um, so that I can read it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of how things develop. We have we have so much so much more to cover. Um, oh, yeah. It'll be interesting to get into plan and kind of look at the differences between how did we approach things in business plan and what other pieces do we really need to get to that are part of that plan phase that maybe we didn't dive mm -hmm. into in terms of building that business plan and getting it together. And we really haven't looked yet at um, purchasing an existing brewery. We just covered that in the fourth nope. educational webinar, but we haven't really talked about that on the podcast. And I think that's something that's happening more often, especially as in, in this crazy economic space. Yeah. Well, it's in some ways, there's a whole lot of the, the stuff we talked about in the business plan that still applies. I mean, it's one thing if you're going to buy an existing brewery and take over their brand, but I don't see that happening often. Generally, people are the taking over the existing brewery is just saving them the going out and finding a location and designing it and buying equipment. So you're you're only buying purchasing an existing brewery. You've you've taken care of some of those steps, but you still have all those other steps that you still need to do. But it but yes, it also has its own due diligence and checklists, which yeah, well, we had a whole webinar on the other right. day and certainly right. can do a whole, probably that's another two episode one as the, you know, one whole episode of the due diligence of what you want to look into and do you want to buy the entity versus the assets and what's the difference um, from the legal perspective. Um, and then of course, you know, operationally, you know, what does it mean? Yeah, it's interesting. I I, I hadn't really thought about that, but most people that I, I have talked to on, you know, on any level, they're, they want to create their vision and their dream. Mm -hmm. They're not looking to further someone else's vision. Um, even though it might be practical to buy a business that's successful that the owner wants to leave, that's usually not the way people approach this. No, no, I wouldn't think so. But occasionally you do have successful brands that for whatever reason, either the, I mean, to some extent, I'd say, you know, the owners may just get tired, <laughs> you know, want to either want to retire or want to do something maybe less demanding, um, but still want the brand to carry on. And if somebody, you know, is up for that, but you're right. I, I don't see that nearly as often as this is an opportunity to take a space that already has equipment and is already built out as a brewery. And therefore um, you're not asking for tenant improvements from the landlord necessarily. And, you know, plug and play almost, you can just move in, redecorate and open up. Mm -hmm. Tom Hennessy talks a lot about taking um, an existing restaurant space and how much less you'd have to modify to be able to use that space as a brewery. Um, 
as opposed, I think it's probably most normal, most common to take a warehouse space and want to turn it into a brewery. I agree. Well, I think too, it also depends on what size brewery, because I'd say mm -hmm. you're, you're kind of looking at a pretty big restaurant if you're going to turn it, assuming if you take a restaurant, you're going to turn it into a brewery restaurant. So you're still going to want the kitchen and the, the seating, but now you got to, you got to stick a brewery in there. So right. depending on how big of a system you're going to put in there, um, I think that would probably be, I think if you're doing more like a brew pub, you know, a smaller system that then, yeah, restaurants a great way to do it. Right. Well, Again, and, it's already built for you. Right. Right. And I guess the zoning would be another question if, you know, yep. and if wherever people, you live, you got to check into that, you know, can right. you put a manufacturing into, um, you know, a restaurant, restaurant is that use going to be allowed? Right. Yeah. I think there's some, some nuisance complaints about odor and sound and stuff like that sometimes that would be interesting depending on where sure. it is. Depending on how much you like the smell. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Some people like, like the smell of yeast and hops. Or maybe it'll grow on you. I I've, I've said before, it's the smell of money. Yeah. <laughs> well, the and, neighbors may or may not like that smell. It, it may not right. smell like money to them. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, and then there's the, you know, you're not going to make a million dollars with a brewery. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. It's most definitely. You do it because you love it. Right. Right. Um, do, do not let Ballast Point be your guiding uh, guiding star. Guiding light of... The guiding light is not not the thing. That's not happening again, I don't think. No. So where should people, we should, so we should have people, if they have suggestions or, or testimonials, if they want to tell us what they liked about what we did or or what yeah, they definitely. see us do in season two. Um, yeah, send us an email. So Well, or post on social media. We have Facebook, Instagram. We look at all that. So yeah, LinkedIn. Um, yeah. So you'll see us there. And and I'll ask Beth to to do some posting for us to ask for feedback as well. We should incorporate that in what we're doing. But it would be great to hear if people have ideas. Um, definitely. And if people like what we did, that's always nice to hear too. We can always put the testimonials out there that testify. And I was going to mention our numbers. I didn't look this morning, uh, but the last time I looked at numbers, we were over 15,000 downloads and listeners in over 65 countries and more than 1700 people had listened to episode 001. So, so pretty cool. feels pretty good. Like for two never ever podcasters <laughs> who kind of were like, Hey, why don't we start a podcast? Okay. I, I remember talking to John Hall. I think it was right after you and I met with ABS and this, this idea showed up. I remember saying to him, so I don't know anything about podcasts. Uh, can you help us? <laughs> so God bless John, uh, you know, for taking care of all the technical side of things. Oh, for sure. For if sure. I can push record and end record and then ship in the file. Um, I'm, I'm really appreciating life. Um, okay. So yeah, if people have, have, uh, feedback for us, so Laura at startabrewery.com or Candace at startabrewery.com. Uh, that's Candace with an A, by the way. Yep. It's yep. close to an I. And, and Laura, L-A-U-R-A. -A. Yeah. We can, we can mess up names a whole bunch of different ways. Um, but yeah, please feel free to let us know how we're doing, uh, what you'd like to see. Um, so we're going to, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're going to take a break as, as is traditional between season one and season two. Um, and so Candace and I were talking a little bit about what, what we could mention, what we could suggest to people, mm -hmm. um, what they should be listening to or reading for similar types of information. Um, 
What do you got on the top of your list? Um, definitely Carrie Shumway's podcast, the craft brewery financial training training. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it, it's a little intense for me and partly is because I'm not running a brewery and need to know all those kind of numbers. It's very different from my business, but it is, if I were running a manufacturing business, yes, I would. It's really informative. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Carrie's and I, distribution too, there's yeah. a lot of distribution in there. And I would definitely, you know, I'm the person who's going to have to listen to them more than once to be able to completely follow along, but um, important stuff to know. And I, I guess it sticks out to me because that is an area that I really don't know very well. So I know how important it is to spend the time learning that. Yeah. So. I, do, I do a lot of rewind. Yeah. I guess it's, that's the cassette tape verbiage, but I do a lot of rewind. Um, and the other one we hear a lot about, uh, and granted, I haven't actually listened to it mainly just because of lack of time. Um, but is, is I'd say maybe the, op- the, the opposite, but the same as our podcast, which is apparently yeah. how not to start a damn brewery. Yeah. Like um, the emphasis of what we did. Uh, and it's from what I have seen, it's, it's a lot of brewers kind of like start to finish, like that have closed and, you know, kind of giving feedback on my guess is what, not to say what went wrong, maybe what went right, but like kind of start to finish what the process was, what, um, they would do again, what they wouldn't do again. So I think that's always valuable to hear from that perspective as well. A hundred percent. And I know that, um, Brew Your Own and Craft Beer and Brewing both have excellent podcasts. Um, and I know NanoCon, you just spoke at NanoCon and there's, there's mm-hmm. always a lot of great information there. Um, Craft Beer Professionals has a podcast, um, all about beer has podcasts, different sorts. And I know that they were, um, up for some awards recently, some pretty, pretty awesome podcasts. Um, what else, what else, um, do you want to jump in with some final words or do you have some other thoughts we should dive into? Um, no, I think final words. Oh, good Lord. I see. Now I know what we do at our, do to our guests. I'm like, I'm not prepared for final words. Um, how do you distill like 24 episodes down? Seriously. You know what? I actually, I can tell you exactly how to. Okay. And I, it was episode 004, the academic one. Huh. Um, so actually, and I wanted to mention that earlier, I would highly, highly, highly recommend that. It was an episode with three different um, folks who are at various universities that have academic programs talking about business plans and so much information, I mean, specifically about your business plan all packed into kind of one episode um, and what all the areas are and what you need to, to think about. Um, which I guess this also leads to, like, I really recommend there's a lot of really great programs out there. And those can also be really helpful, especially if you're someone who's better doing, you know, a, a class, whether that's virtual or in person, because a lot of them are virtual these days, but those are also great programs and really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think if I were to do final wrap up for business plan world, I would, I would also encourage everybody to lean on all the resources that are out there. I think there's so much out there that is available in terms of resources. I know I've mentioned Brewing the American Dream, um, Axion Opportunity Fund. There's just a whole bunch of, of resources, Small Business Development Center, the SCORE program, just so many places out there that have free business coaching and counseling and um, can really help you through 
the business plan phase of things. And, and they're there mm-hmm. to do it for free in large part, or you can find so many little um, webinars or, or little advice videos um, mm-hmm. in some of those places too, to just look for the resources, but, but to listen um, and, and don't get overrun by your passion and your belief and your vision. So you can't hear anybody's advice because I think there's, there, there are times when you need to have that gut check and kind of redirect mm-hmm. your So if you're not listening, um, you're maybe going down a scary path. Yeah. Oh, you know what? And I will, in, in the, the world of the, the short, quick final tip, and I'm stealing this, but um, you pretty much in the, let's see, how does it go? Cheap, fast, or quality. Right. You can only pick two. Right. You can't have all of them. Mm-hmm. And that, I, I think that really rings true. So keep that in mind in, in all your endeavors. Mm-hmm. Um, so true. I've heard that from a number of people. And if you think about it, um, inexpensive, cheap, however you want to talk about that, um, and, and, and quality and time are, are often mutually exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not all three of them. You can pick two. I know. But if some it's of good them, and you want it fast, it's good. You're going to have to pay for that. Right. 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 Exactly. And if you want it on a budget, you might have to wait. Exactly. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us now and in the future for episode 24, Reflections on Season 1 of the Started Brewery podcast. We end the season on such a positive note and thank all of our podcast guests, our episode sponsors, Arrived, White Labs, Wild Goose, ABS Commercial, Harvest Hosts, Get Optimized, and Redcraft. And then most of all, John Hall and his team at All About Beer from saving us for, our, from saving <laughs> us for ourselves. There we go. Um, without them, this simply would not have happened. We appreciate all of this support. And in turn, we encourage you to support them. While you're anticipating the release of our next episode, feel free to visit the Startabrewery website at startabrewery.com, a free resource for those who are looking to open or grow their breweries. Be sure to look through the task lists offered for each stage of the process, plan, act, open, and grow at the educational resources and at the offerings from our savvy contributors in our growing library. You can also sign up for an electronic update with new Startabrewery contributors, content events, and more great information on the contact page of our website. We also encourage you to explore the All About Beer website at allaboutbeer.com. Perhaps pop in to enjoy one of their excellent podcasts, as we mentioned earlier. In the meantime, this has been Laura Lodge and Candace Moon wishing you a terrific day and thanking you once again for joining us on our podcast journey to start a brewery. <laughs>